You are listening to Constructing Practice, a podcast from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraus. Thank you for listening. I'm Juan Herreros, professor at Columbia GSAP and principal of Studio Herreros in Madrid. In recent years, we have witnessed a series of changes that redefine the traditional practice and lay the foundation of new types of architectural offices. On November 17, 2017, we hosted the symposium Constructing Practice at Columbia GSAP in New York City. This podcast series includes the 15 films who participated in the symposium and expands the conversation to include many others to tell us how they do what they do. Today, we hear from Lauren Broughton of Welcome Projects in Los Angeles, USA. I think it's hard to, in some ways, pin down when one starts a practice because it depends on how you define the word practice. So is it when you have your first paying client, when you first, you know, start to think about doing work maybe that's, you know, driven by your own interests? I would kind of pinpoint for me the beginning of the practice in maybe two places. One was when I was in grad school, sort of at the end of my time in grad school, I did a a thesis project, which was interested in an idea of an idea that the avant-garde had become a kind of institutionalized construction. And I was interested in how one could practice and kind of produce a kind of newness that might be outside of a of what might be considered an avant-garde practice although that was really you know remained as a kind of thesis project in school and then the time at which i actually started producing work myself actually came out of the i guess what they call the great recession <laughs> Um, which was a time where I found myself and almost everyone else I knew was unemployed and I was able to get a teaching job and the teaching job kind of allowed me to simultaneously be exploring a set of interests through teaching and working with students and then also allowed me to have time in which to wonder what exactly I wanted to be doing. And then basically allowed me time to come up with ideas of things that I wanted to do and basically create a series of sort of speculative projects to work on. So that's before I had potential, uh, a say, paying client, but the speculative projects um, allowed me to explore sets of ideas and ways of working. And then eventually I started One of the kind of primary things that I did at that time was I started producing a kind of series of objects and accessories that could be that I could produce and sell alongside doing other sort of more traditional design and architecture work. In terms of my teachers and influences, I would say when I was in school. I went to SciArc here in Los Angeles for grad school. And Marianne Ray was one of my teachers and was probably one of my biggest influences when I was in school, in large part because I think her own work and the way that she taught was diverse in and of itself in thinking about 
what architecture could be and that our and that architecture was perhaps a way of thinking that affected, I guess you could say, design on a kind of larger bandwidth of scale than just a building. But then simultaneously, I was also when I was in school, I worked and worked for a while after school as well for Johnston Merkley, which is a practice here in Los Angeles, who is, I would say the practice is largely invested in architecture and in form and in a kind of tectonic language, but also is is simultaneously interested in other cultural pursuits. So I think those might be my, you know, kind of two things would be my early influences. But then of course, you know, from history, an architect like an architect and, and designer like Eileen Gray or someone like Hans Holine, who are also pursuing a kind of an idea that design is something that is scalar, that happens beyond just the scale of the building. You know, I would pull them in. I've always been interested in in material culture. So also the the kind of way that we can begin to kind of understand history through literally our our material goods so a a historian like Dolores Hayden is someone who is kind of strong or what or kind of strong early influence on the kind of way that I think about how design and architecture can kind of operate and kind of affect the larger world and then of course there are you know artists like Merritt Oppenheim or Klaus Oldenburg or Saul Steinberg or even contemporary artists like, say, Tom Sachs or my friend Miranda July, whose work, I I would say all of those people's work is kind of deeply invested in the way that we interact with the kind of objects that surround us. I think that personally for me, my interest in collaboration comes out of uh, the fact that in I feel that in a kind of true collaboration, you don't know what you're going to get in the beginning when you start, because it is very much a kind of exchange between either two different disciplines or two, two different people. And that makes it exciting. In my work, I collaborate with other architects, other designers. I collaborate with artists. I think of working with clients as a kind of collaboration. And then, of course, I also think working with fabricators or other specialists as a kind of collaboration because you are each bringing different information to the table, which then affects the outcome of a design. Because I think of architecture as something that has a a kind of very broad bandwidth within my practice, I think of you know, my work is, it scales from the scale of a kind of small object or a handbag to the scale of a house. The exchanges with these other, with the collaborators who are potentially, or sometimes coming from other disciplines, it allows for the work to become, I think, more participatory and accessible from the kind of standpoint of, you know, the people who will in fact interact with it beyond the moment that it's produced. So there are 
number of different things that I'm working on right now as sort of everything that I slash we do, they are sort of disparate and kind of operate at, at at disparate scales, but I think they have some overlap in terms of the way that we're, we think about them. So there's a speculative research and design project that I've been working on for the last year or so, which is looking at the kind of built environment of Los Angeles and the role of fantasy and, or, and sort of the role that fantasy historically played in the development of Los Angeles and imagining or speculating on the how the role of fantasy can become something that is a public good rather than something that is always being sort of used at the service of, of say, private developments. That project is called the Fantasy Compact. I'm also working on a what I like to think of as a, a minimal historic preservation project, which is a, there's a, a house in a historic district in Los Angeles where the kind of interest of the client is not to try to bring the house back to some kind of frozen moment in time, but to sort of preserve a kind of narrative of how the house was actually altered over time, which as we're learning sort of tests the limitations of the kind of goal of what we have here, which are called historic preservation overlay zones. But it's a, I think it's a kind of interesting question of, of how historic preservation can tell a story rather than just sort of freeze something, freeze a building or a neighborhood in, into a kind of single moment in time. And then there is a branding project, which I, I can't be explicit about, but what's interesting to me about working on a branding project for a client is that you're essentially writing or creating a narrative for an object that people will then interact with both that object and and that um, narrative as the product gets out into the world. In terms of profile, I often get asked when I you know give talks, you know, is do I consider all this stuff that I do to be architecture? And my short answer is that yes, I consider that I have an architecture and and a design practice and that our interest is in how we can tell stories through the sort of objects and architectures that surround us. My interests going forward are continuing to find ways of working that are, and kind of scales of working where the where it's this sort of way of thinking about how architecture and design can fit into the world around us and become something that is considered something that or continues to be more social or participatory and even how that can become more invested as a kind of disciplinary or have more importance as a kind of disciplinary practice would be interesting to me. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You may also be interested in the GSAP Conversations podcast series available on iTunes. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.